Welcome to the Free Retiree Show. My name is Lee Michael Murphy. I've been in wealth management for the last 10 years right in the heart of the Silicon Valley. People have always asked me, how do I achieve financial independence? And while the financial world wants you to believe it's as simple as investing your money, I'm here to tell you it's a small piece of the puzzle. I've seen four consistent factors in the people that have achieved financial independence. One, they excel in their career. Two, they manage their money properly. Three, they're able to avoid devastating financial mistakes. They can see through the BS. And lastly, they understand they need to learn from the best, the people that have achieved success in their career and their finances. Join us on our journey as we learn how to become free retirees. Thank you for tuning in to another show. Your financial, career, and legal friends are all back together. I'm alongside that friend that always gives you the honest advice in your career, Sergio Patterson. What is up, everyone? I'm also joined alongside that other friend that you might need to call when you need to get bailed out of jail or need some good legal advice, Matt McElroy. What's going on? And I am your host and friend that you probably secretly hate because I told you you were an idiot for buying that new car instead of investing your money. You're welcome. (laughs) Today, we're going to be doing a business and thought leader episode. This is the part of the show where we bring you the interviews from some of the most interesting and successful people in business. And today we have the privilege of interviewing Maya Grossman. She formerly was an employee of Google and Microsoft, and she was also a VP at a fintech startup. And currently she works as a consultant for Fortune 500 companies. And her knowledge and skills have helped her be promoted 10 times in the past 15 years. Quite impressive. She's a wealth of knowledge in terms of excelling in your career and the world of marketing. And today she's going to be talking about a book, her book. It's called Invaluable. It's mastering the 10 skills you need to skyrocket your career. So Serge, I know you've told me about Maya long before this. What's your take on Maya? Yeah, I mean, I'm just surprised she responded to my LinkedIn message and, uh, join the show to be honest uh, no, i mean she's incredible you gave kind of a good rundown um i think what really stood out to me as i've been following maya is just her authentic approach to sharing the realities of how to grow your career and just just that it was just really refreshing because i think what we see a lot on social media is just far from reality so to me, that's what stood out most as I've been following Maya. She just really gives it to you straight. And like, I think that's what we try to do with our show. So super excited to, uh, to hear from Maya. Yeah, this is going to be a fantastic show. Make sure you listen to all of it. If you haven't done so yet, make sure you like our show, share us. We appreciate all the love and support. If you have questions, financial related, legal related, make sure you send them to ask at thefreeretiree.com. We're going to take a quick break, but when we're back, we're going to be talking with Maya Grossman. Welcome back into the show. We're sitting with Maya Grossman. She is the author of Invaluable, Master the 10 Skills You Need to Skyrocket Your Career. Marketing extraordinaire, Maya Grossman, thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Give the listeners background of what you do. Yeah, well, I've been a marketer for the past 15 years, working for Fortune 500 startups, really uh, helping companies go to market, find product market fit, and drive growth. Um, And I spent the last year writing a book about career development, which is my other passion beyond marketing, uh, because I just really wanted to take all of the lessons I've learned in my 15-year career and help other people build really fulfilling and successful careers. Okay, Maya, so let's talk about your book. You wrote a book called Invaluable. Why did you write it and who is it for? Yeah, so here's a funny thing. I wanted to write a book for as long as I can remember. It was a task on my task list for years and every single year I just pushed it all the way to the end and completely ignored it. 
And then last year, something really interesting happened. I was doing some consulting for Google, and I think it was in the same week where three different employees came to me and asked me the same questions about their career and how they can actually be more successful. And when I was giving them the exact same advice, I realized, hey, I can actually do that at scale if I write a book about this. And this is where the idea for Invaluable kind of started. Um, I just wanted to have a bigger impact on people's lives when it came to career development. And I think this advice is valid to pretty much anyone who wants to have fulfilling and exciting careers, but it's probably very relevant for you if you're early in your career and you just don't have the tools and the skills to actually build that career roadmap for yourself. Because let's be honest, you, you go to school, you learn a lot about a profession, but no one talks to you what to do when you need to talk to your manager, when you need to have uh, buy-in from different stakeholders. They don't talk to you about mindset and how you can actually create opportunities for yourself. And this is what I wanted to do for young professionals. Yeah, this is great. And I think what I like most about the way you've approached this book is you've made it pretty practical and simple for people. You know, it's like, um, here are the 10 or 13 things, steps that needed that you need to do to make this happen. And just being honest, I think a lot of us struggle, myself included in Silicon Valley with, you know, how do you get to that next level? How do you get, you know, it's constant feedback, performance reviews, and it's like, how do you not deliver mediocre results? How do you make yourself invaluable especially in a COVID-19 environment where there's, there's a lot of insecurity and like questions. So I think it's, it's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And I think we're also living at a time where, you know, people are not necessarily as loyal as they used to be. People just hop from one job to another. You don't necessarily think about the companies you work for. You think about yourself. And I think there's this crazy statistic that says 70% of people are disengaged at work, which is insane in, in, in my opinion, because we spend so much time at work. Why not be engaged? Why not take the opportunity to learn something new? Why not do your best so you can actually benefit from spending you know, so much time at work? And you know what? A lot of people just live for the weekend. And I guess if you're happy with what you're doing, that's fine. But at least from my perspective, it's not a way to go through life. I totally agree with you. You know, I, I checked out your website, mayagrossman.com, and it, you know, it talks about your book, Invaluable. And one of the things you talk about is uh, mastering the art of managing up. And I, I thought that was a really cool term, and I wanted to see if maybe you could tell us a little more about it. Yeah, of course. Um, so I've had a variety of managers throughout my career. Some of them were a little bit you know, on the tougher side, some of them were a lot softer, but I think what they all had in common is that they were very open to giving me the opportunity to kind of manage my own work. And looking at it in retrospect, it wasn't really them, it was actually me taking very specific steps to manage my manager, to make sure that they're set up for success, to make sure that I'm aligned with their goals and their needs not like in a way of like sucking up or bringing them coffee in the morning, but more from a professional perspective, what can I do that will serve the better serve them, their goals and the company. And just doing that has really helped me create an, you know, opportunities for myself because my managers were always happy to give me more and to trust me and treat me as a professional instead of micromanaging me. Yeah, they knew they knew they could rely on you to get results. Yeah, and I think anyone can do that. There are very, you know, I, I explain it in the book, but there are very specific things you can do to build that relationship. And I think, you know, eight times out of 10, it will work. Sometimes some people are just not open to having that kind of relationship with their employees. Um, and in that case, you know what, maybe you're at the wrong company or the wrong team. But most of the time, it's actually pretty easy. I mean, when I was at Microsoft, my boss used to tell everyone, you know, Maya is my manager, not the other way around, because I had complete ownership of, you know, everything that I was doing, but I was also doing a lot of work for, for him because, you know, just to give you an example, um, I started and my first week, uh, my boss left for three weeks. 
Now I stepped into a new role, so there were no guidelines or definitions, and I had to figure out what to do. Now, when you join a company the size of Microsoft, you can spend the first three weeks just onboarding, which is basically a euphemism for not really doing a lot, but just getting to know people and spending your time, you know, uh, learning about the company. But I was very impatient. I couldn't do that. I wanted to have some results in my first 30 days. So I just took it upon myself to figure out what, what was necessary. I built a plan. It wasn't anything fancy, very simple. You know, here are the five things I think I should focus on for, you know, the next 30 days. And when my boss came back, instead of waiting for them to ask me, what do you need? What have you been doing? I set up a meeting and I presented to him, here are the five things I think I'm gonna be doing. I just need your sign off on this so I can start running. And they were really impressed because, you know, I didn't wait for them. It doesn't matter if all of those five things were perfect and accurate, you know, this, this is where he actually gave me feedback and I was able to, you know, improve, but just taking that initiative. And I think if you do that with your manager, you actually make their lives easier. And this is what they want. I mean, at the end of the day, they have their own KPIs. They have their own goals they have to achieve. They do not want to micromanage you. They don't have the time for that. So the more you make their lives easier, the more responsibility you're going to get, the more opportunities are going to open up. And this is actually how I was, I was able to move up, I think, almost every single time in my career. Yeah, 100% 100% agree. I think managing up, if I could have known about that term five, 10 years ago, I would have definitely had an impact because I think what I forgot is that your manager is one of your stakeholders also. Yep. Like when I'm managing a project, I have all these different stakeholders and I'm typically thinking about them, but sometimes you forget that your manager's somebody you have to like treat as a stakeholder as well. So that advice, if you're early in your career is like, that's super high on the priority list for sure. Well, I think taking that initiative also shows accountability in a major way. And I think that's, you know, and then that kind of in turn builds trust with the, you know, your manager. And I mean, I think that's huge. Yeah, I think accountability in general, uh, it's one of the skills that you need to have if you want to skyrocket your career. And I think a lot of people mix up responsibility with accountability, but it's not exactly the same thing. If you're responsible, yes, you'll get something done in the amount of time that you're supposed to do it. If you're accountable, you'll do the right thing. And just to give you an example from my life as a marketer, if I give one of my employees a task to write a blog post about a specific topic, a responsible employee will give me the blog post the time I told them to do it. Someone who's accountable will know, hey, it's the wrong to topic for our audience. They will do the research, they will find the right topic, and they will write a blog post that's going to be 10 times better than the responsible employee would do. And this is, at least for me, this is what I'm looking for in employees. I don't care about an MBA. I don't care about certificates. I don't care what you've done before. If you can demonstrate that you have this mindset, I know that you're gonna do the job that I need you to do. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with all that. That's, I mean, <clears throat> when, we, when we bring new attorneys on and, and we train them, it, I mean, that's, that's exactly what we're looking for. It's like we, it, it kind of like almost put it in simpler terms is we, we want somebody that cares, yep. you know, that they're, they're in it to win it and they care about the work that they're doing. And so you mentioned something about micromanagement. I think there, I'd push back a little bit. I think there are some managers who like to micromanage and we all want to avoid those, but let's say you do have a micromanager. I think this plan can actually help turn them around, right? Like if you have a yeah. manager who actually enjoys it, micromanaging but I think holding yourself accountable and doing some of these things could actually maybe turn that around is that what you're kind of saying as well yeah I mean I've had managers who wanted to micromanage me or started to micromanage me and what I do is I actually kind of turn the volume up in terms of accountability so I do everything I mentioned before but I walk them through every step of the way because when you're being micromanaged it means your manager doesn't trust you yet or they don't think you can do as good a job as they would do. So I over communicate. I walk them through every step of the way instead of just giving them the end result and doing it with kindness, obviously not with contempt. 
And I found that when you do that enough times, they actually learn to let go because they just realize, okay, they actually know what they're doing because you gave them, you know, kind of your thought process. You showed them how you get to the end conclusion. So now they can trust your process. One thing I noticed in a lot of your blogs and other interviews you've done is you're totally pro business. You're like ride or die for your company. You have an owner's mentality. What would you say to a lot of the employees that are out there in the Silicon Valley that, you know, they have this view like, hey, I get paid this amount. And then when I'm off the clock, I don't want to be bothered. I don't care that much about my company. My time is my time, you know, because most of the Silicon Valley has this philosophy like, well, I just want to get paid this amount. And you see it all the time with people that are our friends, people we interact with. It's like they don't they have no joy about what they're doing. It's all about, oh, I get paid X dollars amount and that's it. They have, there's no passion there. So why would you say having the owner mentality is important for the employees that maybe all their life just thought about, well, it's a salary, it's a job. Like why should they have that owner's mentality? Well, that owner mentality got me 10 promotions in 15 years. And with every one of those promotions, a huge raise. And I got to enjoy everything I was doing in the process. I didn't hate going to work. I didn't hate waking up in the morning. I didn't live for the weekend. Maybe that's not right for everyone, but I don't know. For me, it was really important to have a life where I enjoy what I do. And it doesn't mean every moment is enjoyable. Even as a marketer, some moments are not great. They're going to be shitty and you're going to get through it. That's fine but I wanna enjoy most of the time and what I'm doing. Now, I love marketing, so I will probably enjoy doing marketing for a variety of companies, but it's important to me to work for a company where I understand the product, I love the product, I don't wanna work for evil corporations who are doing terrible things for the world. I wanna work for a company I'm proud of, I would advocate for, I will be their kind of chief cheerleader Otherwise, why would I work for them? Now, I get it. Sometimes, especially early in your career, you don't have the privilege of actually choosing where you want to work. But I think cultivating that passion, finding a way to fall in love with that company, finding something that gives you that passion and motivation, it's just going to make your days so much better. And it will still get you to that salary, to the money, to the end goal that you want. It will just make the journey a lot more pleasurable. Great advice. Yeah, hundred percent. Hey, Maya, I wanted to touch on, so I follow you on LinkedIn and one of your posts, you said five pieces of career advice. I wish someone gave me in my twenties. I thought this was like, this was brilliant. Cause like, if we could go back, but one that really stood out was you are not your job. Tell us more. Oh my God. So I always associated my value to my work, whether it's my title or how I'm treated at work. And if anything wrong happened at work, I would be devastated. And that actually lasted for a long time, probably close to a decade. But at some point I actually realized, you know what, I'm not just my job. I do other things outside of my work. I have a personal life, I have friends, I have a family, I have passions, and those define me as well. And it was a very interesting journey to actually realize, you know what, what you do is not who you are. Um, it's more about what you believe in. It's more about um, uh, your values and it's more about who you actually want to be. And, it, and I think it really came up again now with COVID because so many people lost their jobs and they also lost their self-esteem. And I wanted to, to tell people that's not the case. Just, you know, if you don't have a job, then you're unemployed but it doesn't mean you're not valuable. Nothing changed. You're the same person you were a month ago when you actually had a job. So I think just kind of separating the two is a really important mindset to have because otherwise it might drag you down whenever the economy changes like right now, or you know, if a company decides that they need to cut down and you know, you're fired, it doesn't mean you did something wrong um, and it shouldn't affect how you see yourself. So Maya, I know that you've been a, you know, expert in marketing at small companies, startups, and the large companies. What advice would you give to people on both sides? 
what skills and abilities or things should large companies focus on versus small companies? What have you seen? Yeah, I definitely had the pleasure of working for the Fortune 500s and the startups with five people. Um, I think the biggest difference is um, it really relies on how you actually prefer to learn. So if you're early in your career and you want to specialize, I would say definitely go for a bigger company because um, your scope of work is going to be a little bit more narrow. You're going to have to focus. You have to go really deep into a profession and you're probably going to have a lot of um, experts around you in the, these big companies. I think if you're more of a person who wants to experiment, you want to have more freedom, you just want to try out a lot of different things to figure out what is right for you, I would say go for, for a startup because you'll probably, you probably won't have anyone to actually manage you and you can kind of experiment and do different things. And if you prefer to learn that way, if you prefer to just figure it out yourself, I think that would be a much better fit for you. And I think for different people and different times in your career, you should probably aim for different cultures. Um, for me, sometimes it was great to go to the bigger companies, learn about processes, uh, different tools, and really kind of go deep on a specific marketing discipline I wanted to become an expert at. And sometimes I wanted to go to the startup world because I just wanted to try things on my own. I wanted to see if I can figure it out. So I think, you know, it really depends on, you know, your mindset and how you prefer to learn. Maya, I have a question. Your, uh, your book, Invaluable, do you have it as an audiobook? Unfortunately, no. Um, I'm self-publishing, so it's kind of all on me. So we're going to have both print and um, a digital version, but audiobook is a little bit expensive to create. Uh, I might do it if I see that there's a lot of traction. I also, this is, I, I don't think I ever told anyone this, but I actually submitted the book to Audible Originals. So fingers crossed, maybe someone will think it's interesting enough and they'll sponsor it. If, if you were going to do an audiobook, would you, would you hire an actor to do the reading or would you want to do the reading yourself? I would really want to do the reading myself. Um, I always think it's better when, it, when the author does it. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I like, but also a few people reached out to me because I did like a little podcast about the book early on. It wasn't even a podcast, just me talking and explaining to people why I wrote it, what it's about. Um, and I had a lot of people reaching out and saying, oh, we, we really like that. You should record, you know, the book yourself. So if there's demand from the audience, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll consider it. Uh, my one thing I noticed when I was reading up on you is you were actually a travel agent for well, seven I was. years. <laughs> you were, yeah. I know. Yeah. So how, how, how did you get into that? And then what was the crossover of getting to where you're at right now? Yeah. So um, early in my career, well, just early in my life, I realized if I wanted to go to college, I'm going to have to pay for it, which means I need to get a job. So I got the first job I could get, and that was joining a travel agency. And at the beginning, I was just there to do customer support. They had a 24 seven uh, phone line, and I would just help customers who were you know, stuck in an airport somewhere, missed their flights, thing like that. Um, and I, I was able to grow with the company. I became a travel agent, I became a manager, and it was very convenient. Uh, you know, my friends were busting tables to pay for college and I was in an office wearing skirts and high heels. So it was very, very convenient, which kind of made me, you know, stay there for a while, even though it wasn't necessarily my dream career. And during the, my time there, I actually did my bachelor's and I majored in finance and marketing, really hated finance, really fell in love with marketing. And it kind of opened up my mind to this idea, hey, I can, I can actually have a career in marketing. I have no idea what it means, but maybe I can do that. And I started researching to try and understand what was out there. And I fell on this really new thing called social media. And this tells you how old I am. This was like the first year of Facebook and Twitter. And it seemed so interesting. So I decided this is what I want to do but I had absolutely no idea, you know, how to actually get a job doing social media or what it even means. So I spent probably six months just learning, absorbing everything I could. I spent 
I think probably hundreds of hours just reading every blog post ever written about social media. And I opened my own social media accounts, started tweeting to basically no one just so that I can, you know, practice it. And then I went to my manager at the travel agency and I said, Hey, I really think social media is going to be beneficial for you. You know, would you mind if I kind of opened up uh, a company page for you? They had absolutely no idea what I was talking about, but I promised them it will be on my spare time. So they said, sure, no problem. Do, do whatever you want. So I actually got to manage their social media for almost six months and gained that experience. And it gave me the confidence to actually go out and look for a job in social media. Um, and funny enough, I found my first job on Twitter because I was following social media influencers and one of them tweeted they were hiring and probably seven minutes after that, they had my resume. <laughs> so, um, and yeah, and I think I didn't have a ton of experience when I interviewed for them. It was an entry level job anyway, but I think what they appreciated the most um, is that I took the time that I spent six months teaching myself and gaining that experience. And I think being so knowledgeable at that point in my career, even though I didn't have a lot of experience, really impressed them and they were willing to take a chance on me. Yeah, I think that shows, you know, on your end, like a level of commitment, whereas most of the people coming in and interviewing are probably showing some level of entitlement. You know, and I think that probably really probably blew them away. Yeah, and I tell people to do that all the time. I mean, if it's so hard to stand out right now, especially if you're early in your career and you don't have a ton of experience. Um, I tell people, one, do your research, but really do the research. Know the company inside and out and find a way to show what you're capable instead of just telling people that you're great. Build something, create something. It is so easy. There's so much information out there today that you can create a project for a company and actually nail you know, the right information and the right strategy. Um, it just takes time. And people think that applying for a job means sending out resumes. But at least for me, that has almost never worked. Most of my career, I was referred to my, to my roles. 100%, yeah. I think it's interesting because a lot of people might look at your situation and be like, oh, it was, maybe it was luck. But to me, it was like, you kind of created your own luck by doing all that research and like opening the Twitter account, you put in the work, like Matt said, that commitment. And I think that's what's, what's lacking for a lot of people trying to take that next step. So that's awesome. I think it's, it's always interesting to hear like how the things happen. Lee, I think that was a great question. Um, that's yeah, a there, there's no, like, I don't. Trickle down effect to like where you are now. Yeah, and I don't think there's such a thing as luck. Luck is when opportunity meets, meets preparation. Um, and I kind of talk about it in the book when I talk about creating your own opportunities. Sitting and waiting is not a strategy. Just by sitting and waiting, you're not going to get promoted. You're not going to, it just doesn't happen anymore. Uh, so you actually have to create your own opportunities. You have to find things that you can do. You have to find problems that you can fix in order to gain the experience you want and in order to do things that actually impress the people who make decisions. And at the same time, you're going to help your company. So you're creating a win-win situation with this type of mindset. Yeah, my, I love like the story of just how you start off as this travel agent, which is not a bad career. It's, it's a, it can be a fantastic no, career. But you, you made that jump, though. And I think what's great about it is so many people in the Silicon Valley, they feel like they're at this wall, right? They feel like I'm worth this much. I, 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 to, for me to make that jump into this company that offers that, that is a tough jump. And, I, and a lot of times... The truth is a lot of us don't have that confidence. So I see where you're at now. You're extremely successful. You're well-known. Did you ever feel like there was a wall there when you were making that jump? Um, every single time. <laughs> oh, every single time. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I really believe that you should always stretch yourself when you move to a new job. So I will never take a job. Well, not never, but I try not to take a job where I'm 100% qualified to do it. I always aim for like the 70% so that I have, you know, room to grow and to learn. The problem is when you do that, you actually have to prove that you can figure out the extra 30% and you need to showcase that you're really good at that 70%. And it's not easy. But again, if you do the preparation, if you spend time actually 
uh, studying the job description, if you really talk to people, uh, do informal interviews, understand what that specific company is actually um, trying to fix, why are they hiring you, what's going to be your main you know, challenge, and then showcase that you already have the solution, that you already know how you're going to address it, instead of just saying, yeah, I'll spend my first 30 days onboarding and trying to figure out what's wrong with you. Do it the other way around. Start by showing them you already solved the problem. Anyway, something we haven't really touched on is just kind of like your upbringing. And I'm, I noticed you, you were at Tel Aviv University. So even before the travel agency, I'd love just to hear that story a little bit. Because I mean, even that, you know, the, could you just give us a quick, like, summary of kind of where you came from and like how you made that jump? Yeah, of course. Uh, so I grew up in Israel, born and raised. And um, I was in a loving, very standard uh, family, I would say. I was a little bit of a nerd. I really liked school. I thought it was really important for me to be successful. So I spent a lot of time there. Um, still, still had fun with my friends. I wasn't like a total geek, but just re realized it was important early on. I guess probably because my dad always told me, you need education. You need nothing else matters. You just need education. So I spend time on my education. Um, and yeah, in Israel, when you reach 18, you actually are enlisted to the military. So I spent two years uh, as a computer technician, of all things. Uh, so I wasn't really uh, in combat, um, but I definitely learned a lot of things, especially about accountability. And I share a story in the book about how the military, military actually teaches you about accountability, not just for yourself, but also for your unit, your team, uh, which is, I think, a great skill to have, especially early on. Um, and I definitely think it helped me uh, in my career after that. Um, yeah, and like you know, you already heard, I was a travel agent. I moved into marketing. And at some point, I really got into the startup world got fascinated by it and decided that my next step will be to move to Silicon Valley to be with the best of the best. And it took almost seven years to actually figure out how to get here. But um, yeah, just a couple of years ago, my husband and I moved here and we really love it here. Nice. Yeah, accountability is huge. I'm trying to make my four-year-old daughter accountable to clean her room and it doesn't happen <laughs> every day. And I just think if I can just instill that in them, like Matt, you'll you'll uh, appreciate this soon. Once, it's tough. Like she'll throw. It's accountability is huge. It's tough. I know. I don't have any advice about kids. I'm very good at, with young professionals, but I haven't mastered uh, mastered young children yet. I have a two year old niece, and she is driving my brother and his wife crazy. She basically manages everything uh, in their life, but she's so cute, so they just can't say no. Um, but I haven't experienced it myself yet, so I don't know. Tough. I'm in a similar situation myself. My two-year-old definitely runs things. Growing up in Israel, did you always know that, hey, I want to end up in the U.S. someday? Was that ever a thought that went through your head? Or did <laughs> was that something funny recently? Enough, no, funny enough, I've always felt like, not that I didn't belong in Israel. I love Israel, but... From an early age, being exposed to movies and TV shows, it always felt like I should <laughs> be here. I can't explain it. I've been talking about, about it since a very young age. Um, it just took a while to actually figure out how to do it. So like with the Hollywood movies, do you think that was something that you're like, oh, if I go to America, there's going to be dinosaurs running around and, you know, <laughs> all the Hollywood movies. Yeah, movie stars just no. walking around. More like Beverly Hills 90210. Ah, okay. <laughs> this, this is what I watched when I was probably like 12. So, yeah. It's a great show. Great show. And so, it was. <laughs> thinking that, you know, like you have this perception of what the U.S. is like. When you got here, were you just extremely disappointed? <laughs> oh, God, no. But I've, I've been here so many times. Um, you know, working for international companies, I traveled here so much that at some point it, it actually made more sense to be here. Um, I, I, I was in, when I worked for Microsoft, I think I was in Seattle um, you know, every two or three months uh, for at least a week, sometimes two weeks. And my husband started complaining that I'm traveling, you know, too much. 
So we just figured, you know, it will be a lot easier if we just came here. So your mom and dad, you know, being raised in Israel, what do you think they instilled in you through your childhood? They got you to where you're at now. I know you said your dad, he was influential military guy. He always said, Maya, you need to go get an education. If you yep. do that, it's all going to work out. How did they impact your path? And like now that you've made it to a phenomenal level in corporate America, like what do you think about your dad's advice of, you know, hey, get that education. It's going to, everything's going to be great after that. Yeah. I think the, the other thing that they instilled in me is just the belief that I can do whatever I set my mind to. There's no such thing as impossible. Um, it's just something that kind of came through from a very young age and I think has been very influential in, in my life. What do I think about education? Um, I'm, <laughs> I don't want to make it sound the wrong way. I think education is important. I think it gave me a lot of the basics that I needed. I can say that my bachelor's or my MBA made me a better marketer. I think that comes with experience. Textbooks are great, but they don't always give you the real life experience you need. It, it is still accepted to ask for an MBA uh, for specific roles. I don't think it makes a difference. I interviewed people who had Ivy League MBAs and I would never hire them because they were just not good marketers. Um, we're, we're all aligned with you. We are all aligned. If you've listened yeah, I mean, to our show, like we don't waste <laughs> your money. Don't waste like a ton of money. Like don't go into a ton of debt for anyway. Sorry. Go ahead. I, I, I agree. I don't think, you know, if you spend two years doing your MBA, you can spend that time, you know, gaining real experience. Even if you spent that entire time interning or volunteering, the amount of hands-on experience you'll have will probably help you move, you know, up the ladder faster and better than just having that kind of textbook knowledge. And I know it's different for different schools and some people have more practical experience during their, um, their time in, in college. But for me, to be honest, I worked full time through my, both of my degrees. I did not have time. I just did the, the absolute minimum I had to actually get through. Yeah, going back to some of the blogs and uh, presentations you've given, you're really big on soft skills. Yes. And I know, like you, you're saying you're turning down people that have this Ivy League education. I would assume that they would have great hard skills, but their soft skills were probably lacking. How do you improve your soft skills? And I know that I think this is a huge value of your book is it's helping people develop those things that maybe they're, they feel like, oh, I just don't have it. I'm not born with it. And you, I think you've said in your book, you can develop these skills. Yeah, exactly. This is ex and this is exactly why I wrote the book. There's so much emphasis on your vocation and professional training, but when I started searching for soft skill training, I couldn't really find that much information. No one is really talking about that. And when I kind of look back on my career, I try to figure out, you know, what made me, you know, as successful as, you know, I am today based on my definition of success. And it wasn't the fact that I knew how to use a specific tool. And it wasn't because I knew what blue ocean strategy is. It was because I had those soft skills. And when I looked at different people around me, people who started at the same level as me a few years back, but didn't develop those skills. And they're kind of still doing what I was doing 10 years ago. And it made me realize, you know, this is what actually drives people forward. This is what makes a difference. And it starts with a mindset. And once you're able to change the way you think about yourself, when you realize, hey, I can learn and grow and improve. What I have now is not a set quality. I hate it when people say, oh, I'm not good at that. Or no, I, I can't really do that. Yet, you can't do it yet because you haven't spent the time to learn and you haven't taken any action to actually get you there. I think if it doesn't defy the laws of physics, you can do anything you set, you, you set your mind to. It's just a matter of actually setting a goal and following through. That, that's a big concept yeah, in your brilliant. invaluable book, right? Is that, you know, they're good or great employees are made, they're not born. 
Yep, 100%. I know your book has got a ton of great information, but just to give us a little teaser, can you give us like three of those, those gems that you might have had that got you promoted that maybe the other people that are still in the same spot in their careers didn't have? What, are, what were those skills, some of those soft skills? Give us like just a few of them. Yeah, so we talked about an owner's mindset and what it means to have an owner's mindset is to be able to see the bigger picture. So not just the narrow point of view of your own role and what you're doing, but actually the whole company, how everything works together, how the company makes money. So when you make decisions, you don't make them based on what's right for you. You make them based on what's right for the company. So I think having that ability is actually um, a huge differentiator. And if you combine that with what I call being the fixer, so not only um, fixing problems that you come across, but actually doing the work to identify them, caring enough to actually do something as opposed to like, ah, someone else will fix it. And uh, just to give you an example, when I had that first social media job, um, it was a small company. We were like, I think 10 people at the time, but the company was growing very, very quickly and things were kind of getting out of hand. Um, and the founders, they were so busy with growth. They just wanted to bring in more and more customers. So there was no one actually, you know, supervising what was happening. And it really bugged me because we were really good at what we were doing. Our customers loved us, but we were messing up you know, right and left because we didn't have consistency. We didn't have processes. Every account manager just did whatever they wanted to do that day. And it really bugged me. So I decided to do something about it. And I put together a plan. It was just like one page document. And I basically said, we need processes. We need templates. We need a manager. We need to have these, you know, different things. And I went to my manager and I said, Hey, um, I think you need to hire someone to actually lead the team so we can do all of these things. Otherwise, you know, we're going to get in trouble. And he looked at me and he said, you know what, you're absolutely right. Um, go do that. You're the new manager. And again, this wasn't like rocket science. I didn't invent something new. I just cared enough to notice a problem. I wanted to fix it. I had the right mindset to know, you know, this is going to be detrimental to the company's success. So I'm going to make an effort and, you know, just took that step of talking to them. And it was so simple. Anyone who worked for that company could have done the exact same thing, but they didn't. And that what made the difference. So owner's mindset, being a fixer, we talked about managing up before. Uh, and I think managing across is also very important. And I think the key to do that, is being a storyteller. Understanding that anytime you want something from someone else, it is not about you. It's about them. Understanding how to put them and their best, um, best interest first. And instead of asking things that are gonna help you, showcasing your ask as if it's going to help them. And to do that, you have to build relationships, you have to get to know people, you can't just treat them you know, like a number or like, an ATM because you need budget to do something. You actually need to care about people. Um, so I think, you know, those are just a few examples of the things I cover in the book, uh, which again, I think anyone can develop those skills. I think the problem is people just don't know how to go beyond an idea. Uh, a lot of the time, even when you look at LinkedIn, people share very inspirational advice, but not tactical. And I wanted to make this book as tactical as possible. You have step-by-step -step, uh, examples and explanations of how to get things done and examples from my career of how I actually did that. Yeah, the, you mentioned influencing. Like I didn't, before I got into Silicon Valley, I didn't realize how, it's almost like sales in a way. Mm -hmm. You almost have to be, you kind of have to be good at sales because you're constantly having to influence product managers or engineers or like and you can't pitch the same thing to an engineer that you're going to pitch to a product manager or a product marketing manager so yep. it's like influencing is huge and on that like you're essentially an influencer on linkedin now uh, i'd love to pivot just like hear how that happened how you've built your community because i'm sure it wasn't overnight 
Yeah, definitely not overnight. And thank you. Um, so when I started writing the book, I knew that I was going to self-publish it, which means I needed to build my own audience. No one was going to do it for me. And I figured, okay, so I need to start building a community, looked at the different platforms um, and figured, you know what, LinkedIn is going to be the best place. It's going to be the easiest way for me to find young professionals. And they're probably going to be more open to it because career advice is probably better uh, positioned for LinkedIn than it is, let's say, for Facebook. I don't know. Maybe it is. But it made sense to me that LinkedIn was the place. So I started posting and nothing happened. Like literally nothing. Two likes, five likes, nothing. Um, and I tried to figure out what was wrong. So I started looking at other people. I looked for influencers that I admired in the career um, in the career industry and try to kind of mimic what they were doing, not to write their content, but to use, you know, the format that they were using, trying to make it better. It helped a little bit, but not a lot. And then like a good marketer, I realized, you know what, I need to talk to my audience. So I opened up my calendar and I did, I think it was like 60 career coaching calls for free with young professionals, just so that I know who they are, what they care about, what are their biggest challenges right now, and how I can actually help them. And that informed my content. And I built, you know, different type of content. And they gave me, this was so funny, they gave me this advice. They would reach out and say, hey, Maya, you're using way too many emoticons. It looks stupid. We're, we're, not, we're not 12. You don't, you don't need it. Seriously, which was great. I didn't know it. I thought I was doing something good. Um, they told me, hey, you know what? I think you should probably add a question at the end of your post, get people more engaged. So, you know, it was such a great relationship where I get, got to help people. And then those young professionals, which I still talk to, you know, came back to me and gave me advice what to do. It still took about five months until my first LinkedIn post kind of exploded. Uh, and it probably only exploded because another influencer commented on it, but it got people's attention. And this is where it kind of starts building up. So I would say it took like five months to actually get decent traction. And now I'm at a point where, you know, I'm lucky enough that many of my posts reach a lot of people. And I don't look at the numbers in terms of, you know, hey, I have this and this many views. I actually look at the comments more because I want to see the engagement. And the thing that made me the happiest was when I saw that people were starting to have their own conversations around my posts. It was so interesting to them that they just had like these threads and I didn't even have to, to kind of interfere and go in there. I thought this is when I kind of thought, okay, I'm doing something right. That's amazing. Thanks for sharing. That was awesome. We could use some help on LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> happy, happy to give advice. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, I mean, I love like your approach of how you started meeting with these kids and talking to them. So were they the ones that got the ball rolling for you, liking your content? And then, then it just became bigger and bigger and bigger from those people that you mentored and gave advice to? I mean, probably I didn't ask them. There weren't like my squad. I didn't tell them go like every one of my posts. Of course not. Um, <laughs> no, some people, some people look, some people do that. And sometimes at the beginning, it's a good way to just get some um, exposure. Um, it was just about learning. Again, this is what I tell people to do in marketing. My approach in marketing is very customer centric. The first thing I do for every company I work with is talk to customers. Step number one, always understand who the audience is because you can have assumptions, you can read research about what type of people they are, and it means nothing if you don't actually talk to them. And I think I got the best insights as a marketer just from going through that process. So I figured why not do the same with my own book? And just going through these conversations, I learned so much just about, I still had the same advice, like the, the content of the book hasn't changed. What I know hasn't changed, but the way that I tell the story has changed. And I try to write it in a way that resonates with young professionals because they're my main audience. That's beautiful. So Maya, to close, 
you've been tremendously successful in what you do. How do you define success now at where you're at today? Uh, it's a good question, and it's probably going to be a lot different than what it was five years ago. So today, for me, success um, is impact. Whether it's impact through my marketing work and I help a company, you know, reach its targets, you know, grow its revenue, or whether it's with a book where I impact people. Um, and this is why, you know, I don't necessarily look for titles. I don't look for a salary. I look for whether it's consulting or full-time work where I get to make an impact. Um, but probably not what I would have told you a few years ago, but I guess as you get older, you learn things and you learn to appreciate what actually makes you happy and fulfilled. Titles don't make me more fulfilled. I mean, yeah, they do for like five minutes when you get them, but after <laughs> a week or two weeks, it wears off. And having that consistent hit of dopamine when you actually make an impact um, is a hundred times better. Maya, I cannot wait to read your book. Where can I get it? Oh, thank you. Uh, you can go to my website, mayagrossman.com. It will launch on September 15th, but I will probably open pre-orders before that. So just stay tuned. All right. Maya, thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to The Free Retiree Show. So long for now. Great job, Maya. Nice job. Thank yeah, you. Awesome. Great questions. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, a registered investment advisor with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Securities offered through Securities America Incorporated. Member FINRA, www.finra.org. SIPC, www.sipc.org. A separate entity. Lee Michael Murphy is licensed with the California Department of Insurance. License 0H18660. The Free Retiree, Securities America Advisors, and Securities America Incorporated are separate entities. Career advisor Sergio Patterson and attorney Matt McElroy are not affiliated with Security America companies. Securities America Incorporated, Security America Advisors, and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice. Therefore, it's important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. Third-party sourced information comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. A portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of career advisor Sergio Patterson do not reflect the opinions of Facebook Incorporated. The opinions of attorney Matt McElroy do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and company.